Great job, band. Thank you for getting us kicked off this morning. Welcome to Crossroads, everybody. My name's Justin. For those of you that I have not had an opportunity to meet, and if you are a guest here today, first of all, thank you for choosing to hang out with us this morning. So please join me in prayer. Oh, Father, thank you, Lord, just, um, just for this opportunity to come to worship together, Lord, and to learn about uh, your word. And we can do that in freedom, Lord. We're just so grateful for that. Um, thank you for each person here, Lord, um, that was brought here today. We know that it's all part of your plan that we're here. We know that you meet us right where we're at. You know exactly what we need to be hearing today, Lord. So we just pray that our minds and our hearts will be open to that. Lord, and we, just, uh, we know that your hand is on Nick as he delivers your message today. And we're just so grateful for the opportunity that we have to be here. It's in your son's holy and precious name. Amen. The Bible found out, uh, found out Jesus had a little brother. Anybody know his name? James. When I read that, I was like, how much pressure was that? <laughs> Jesus, your big brother? How many times do you have to hear, why come you can't be more like Jesus, James? Because <laughs> you know, everybody probably thought that James could do the same thing Jesus could do, but he couldn't. He was just James. He wasn't James Christ. Remember the wedding banquet? Jesus turned water into wine. Everybody was amazed, but they don't tell you about the next banquet. Jesus left early. They started running out of wine. Everybody looked at James. <laughs> it's like, man, last time this happened, your brother made some wine, dude. You, you're just going to stand there with your sandals on? You're not going <laughs> to... Can you make some Kool-Aid or something, man? You're not going to do anything. You know, James had problems just like any other kid had problems. He would try to follow his big brother around. So everywhere Jesus went, James followed him. That's what little brothers do. So if Jesus went there, so did James. I bet one time, James almost drowned. <laughs> oh, you just got that joke just now, didn't you? Jesus walked on water and James tried to just walk on I'm sure James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems. And his parents, especially his, his mom, was trying to throw him a bone once in a while. They'd pray over their food. They're like, Lord, we just thank you for this food in James' name. James had problems. He would go to his parents with his problems, and you know what they would say? He'd be like, well, what would Jesus do, you know? <laughs> then they gave him a bracelet. They gave him a bracelet, and um, <laughs> then he started selling those bracelets, you know? <laughs> Made some money selling bracelets. What would be cool is a what would James do bracelet, right? Same initials, different meaning. Completely different meaning. You're driving down the street, you get cut off in traffic. You fuss him out, your pastor's gonna be like, yo, you gotta, what would Jesus do, bracelet on? You're like, uh uh, that's what would James do. <laughs> Good morning, everybody. How are y'all today? Good. How do you follow that, huh? Uh, 
I don't really know. I'm trying to figure that one out. Um, <laughs> no, no, sorry about that video, but if I didn't play it today, they were going to play it next week, so I might as well get credit. So, well, thank you guys. That was fun. What, what do you say to that? You know, you know being a family is, is neat and special. It's a treat. It's a challenge. You grow up together. You, you know, you're with your parents a, a lot in the middle of the night, in the middle of the day. All, all it never stops. <laughs> Car rides, school, sickness. You share everything. You share your germs. You share your tennis shoes. You share your lunch, your dinner, your dessert, your undies. You just, you're always... Oh, I shouldn't have said that part. Okay. All right. Well, I've got four kids, so, you know. But it's neat, and, and it's, a, it's a special time. You see, you see each person for who they are. You get to know them. You get very familiar with them, and, and often they don't necessarily impress you so much. You know, no matter what my siblings went and did, I would always, that's just my brother, or that's just my sister. No matter how good or bad, really, that's just my brother or my sister, and and parents, you, you get so familiar with them. And, and so there's a, a different special family dynamic there that's good and bad. And so James was, was Jesus' brother. He, he had the perfect brother, which he might not have always felt that way. And, you know, you're always getting in trouble. And, and I'm, sure, I'm sure he felt that Jesus should have been in trouble too sometimes. But, but they, the neat thing is they were... All of them, all of Jesus and his brothers and sisters, were raised by, by God-loving, God-fearing Jewish parents. So they undoubtedly told them the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament. They knew what they were expecting. They knew what was to come. They were excited about the Messiah, the, the one who was going to save everyone. And, and little did they fully understand was Jesus was him. You know, Mary knew... Uh, as far as she could, James and his brothers and sisters probably knew as far as they could, and and they all of them desperately wanted to see and experience the the Messiah. They probably all wanted to believe in Jesus, especially James. But James, along with the rest of the world, wasn't sure what to do with Jesus. His name, Jesus, Bill brought up last week, means God saves or God is our salvation. This wasn't an accident. An angel said, name him this. So there, there was no arguing about what to name the baby. But the application, the realization of God in the flesh to save people by serving the people was a difficult concept. Because the Savior is going to be a mighty leader with power, with the power to rule and to bring peace. Jesus was a servant. He even said so. He said, I came for even the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, came not to be served, but to serve. Yeah, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this was starting to... So Jesus' family, James, they, were, they probably wanted to believe, but did they really believe what this was and what this meant? And... And like many, I think we'll find out they were confused or, or unsure. So as Jesus was going and doing his things and, and teaching and preaching and, and going everywhere, they started to be a little unsure. They, they were like, it's recorded in Mark and then also John that his family struggled with this sometimes. His, his family heard about what he was doing. He was around this huge crowd. They went out to seize him for they were saying he's out of his mind, not necessarily he's wacko or, or get rid of him, but like, like, Jesus, what are you doing? You're going crazy. Come on, come back. We're, they, were, they were probably worried about him a little bit and concerned as they were working through what this all meant. For not even his brothers believed in him is something that John 
mentioned as he was writing the gospel. So they didn't fully understand. It's not that they were rejecting Jesus necessarily, but they didn't fully understand. Which and how far to one side or the other, I, I certainly can't say. But I do know we get this from James later on in his life. This letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm writing to the 12 tribes. Greetings. This came from the same guy who prior was saying he's out of his mind. We're not really sure what to do with this. So what changed? What happened? Well, we, we see it here as Paul talks about I delivered to you as importance the gospel. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He's talking about Jesus. That he was buried, he was raised, and on the third, door, third day, he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, then to more than 500, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. So this, this for James, for Jesus' brother, was, was big. Jesus appeared. He showed up. This changed a lot for him. Because before this happened, he wasn't the only one who was struggling to believe, to understand. He was having a, maybe a belief problem, but maybe an understanding problem. Jesus would often talk of his death and that it was a necessary component to saving us. Jesus made it clear that he was the Savior, and the Savior must die to make us right. And, and sometimes they even said the disciples, just like Jesus, said, oh, now we get it. Now we understand. And, and Jesus said, do you? Are you sure? <laughs> Behold, soon the hour is coming when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. He's talking about they're going to desert him. They're going to run away. Yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So so James and his family, they weren't the only ones struggling to understand the Messiah. The, the Old Testament talks a lot about Jesus coming, and, and Jesus was here saying, I am him, I'm he. And, and we have these select few who lived in a home with Jesus, who shared tennis shoes with Jesus, uh, shared all the stuff that you would share. And, and so they, they see the prophecies, but which one are we going to lean towards? The big, powerful, mighty to save king and savior Messiah and the one that says he's going to come as a servant. He's going to, he's going to suffer for us. And isn't that what you would expect? An all-consuming God who is perfect. We, we see John the Baptist, when he, he talks here at the bottom, when they say, hey, John, are you him? Are, are you the Messiah that's coming? And, and these are, this isn't Jesus' family saying this. This is like the, the people around, the, the religious leaders of the day asked him. And he says, oh, I, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He's describing a king, a mighty, powerful guy that he's not worthy to even um, carry his sandals. <laughs> He, talking about this king, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. This is what they were expecting. This is what James was expecting out of Jesus, perhaps. But then something changed. There was a, a block and a misunderstanding that was there. They were expecting a lion, a powerful, kingly, majestic, 
Messiah and Savior. And what they were seeing was, was a lamb, a shepherd, the, who spends long hours out in the sun taking care of sheep, which is not always a fun, easy job, rubbing oil on their heads or taking gnats out of their fur, whatever you call it, wool, and, and just uh, you're stinky and smelly and you're in the dirt and the grime. But the lion, which one are you going to expect as your savior? Which one are you going to expect to come and save you? The one that says, for to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yeah, there he is. Or, or this one. What do you do with this one? I am the good shepherd. This is what Jesus said. I know my own sheep, and they know me, just as my Father knows me. I know the Father, so I sacrifice my life for the sheep. For even the Son of Man came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as he's going through and laying these things out, think about James and Mary having to process this about Jesus, especially having to process the next, the next verse from Isaiah where it says, all of us, so James and Mary, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We've turned away. All of us are, are missing it, are gone. And the Lord has laid on him on the Messiah, the iniquity of us all, of ours. And he, the Messiah, was oppressed. He was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Imagine having to process this. Because to us, that's the end of the Savior. That's the end of the Messiah. To our understanding, that's where it would stop. And during Jesus' life, the disciples and, and probably James and Mary would run from the talk of Jesus on the cross. They would keep Jesus from the cross if they could. James was Jesus' brother, and he probably also wanted to protect Jesus. They, they loved him. They were, they were his family. They were his blood. This was a big deal. So what are the things, and, and let's go to us for a moment. What are the things we are protecting that we want to protect? Our kids, of course, our money, our lifestyle, our success, our comforts, our freedoms. What are those things that, that we're maybe trying to protect that maybe are keeping us from processing and understanding the gospel, the good news? But back to Jesus, Messiah or not, Jesus was their friend and James's brother. Jesus was always on the move. He often spent time with people who were outcast, big sinners, sick, dying, handicapped. The, the religious people of the day were like, Jesus, who, who are you to be hanging out with these people, these scum, they would call them. And, and, then, and he would go above and beyond to, to reach out to these people, to talk to these people, to touch lepers, to, to preach and teach and to love on them. And and he would work himself to the bone. And, and so, of course, they were concerned, especially with some of the things Jesus would come out with when he would say things like, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. But I, this is Jesus speaking, say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you're angry with someone, if you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. 
But I, Jesus, say, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So Jesus' family is watching him do these things. They're concerned. They're, they're hearing him say these things, and they're like, man, Jesus, what are you talking about? <laughs> they're, they're working through this. And, and James had these things going on in his heart. He said, wait a minute, my heart is also there. So by Jesus' words, James himself was no different than the common sinner, no different than the big sinners that Jesus was spending time with. And the big sinners that were trying that would hide and not want to come out and not want to be seen by the public, they were this was the big equalizer. So the two things that these guys were, were battling and struggling, and it's neat to, to go down this path because we often want to give James a hard time. Like, James, you were his brother. Why were you, why were you doubting him? And, but I think, we, I hope we can see that, that we could relate. We can see this. So two things so far. Jesus, as he came, didn't fit their picture of a strong leader. He came as a servant, one who serves another person above himself. He didn't fit their picture of the king, of the Messiah. And if he was coming as the Messiah right then and there to wipe out sin, they were part of it. They had that sin. So, so there was some confusion. <laughs> there had to be. But then the breakthrough. Jesus died and came back to life. So, and this changed James. James saw this. Jesus appeared specifically to James for a reason, for a purpose. And this is exciting because when, when Jesus appeared to James after Easter, it seems that everything changed. Imagine seeing your brother again after you spent all that time just pulling your hair out and, 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 and Jesus, you're crazy. What's going on? And, and maybe even, maybe you had a grudge against him. I mean, brothers, come on. And, uh, and then seeing him die a, grues a gruesome death on the cross where no man ever came down alive. Imagine at that moment realizing that you were wrong about him the whole time, realizing the power that he had, but also the love that he had to be right there, right in front of you, came to appear to you specifically like, hey, brother, <laughs> look at me. I'm, I'm alive. I, I love you. And I look at what I did so James could live. This changed everything for James. Now he could actually say, oh, now I get it, like the disciples did, and actually get it and actually understand. The religion that James was fighting so hard to keep now came alive in Jesus, which means God is salvation. James's life came alive in watching Jesus's life, a real life lived perfectly. Growing up, he saw Jesus in conflict. He saw Jesus in sadness and trouble and joy and excitement. He probably saw Jesus bullied and he saw Jesus persevere through hard stuff. Everything you go through, everything you have gone through, James watched the Savior of the world go through it perfectly. James watched God go through the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, the confusing stuff, the stuff we don't understand, the stuff that makes us really mad. He watched Jesus go through it perfectly. How many of us would have liked to have that opportunity, you know? And, and we're going to get there in a minute as James realized what the deal was. 
and moved on it, acted on it, and then used the gifts and the stuff he had, we're given the book of James. We're given what James did in the early church as the leader in the church. This is exciting and special. And then a, a book written to us from him. This is neat. James had to have been the only person who could have written the book of James. As, as we go through this series, you'll see it as a hard-hitting, uh, it hits right to the heart, practical with practical clarity of the life God lived out in this world. A world set apart but in the weeds. A life that we join here and now, not sometime later. James understood, I just saw Jesus risen and alive. This life is meant to be had now. He wasn't looking to a future, oh, someday long down from now, when Jesus comes again, everything's going to be made right. He saw that there was life to be lived now with the real risen Christ. We, he wasn't fixated on the future. He was fixated on now, the, the new heart that had been enabled to be given to him through Jesus' sacrifice. And he saw the prophecy from Ezekiel. He probably knew this one. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. That moment that hitch James had of where, wait, wait, God, wait, wait, Jesus, that stuff you're saying there, that this is when James still thought Jesus was crazy about, that was in my heart too. He sees, oh, a new heart with the risen Christ. When I join him, when I join him on the cross, I join him in the resurrection with the new heart. Joining him on the cross so that I can be raised with him. And, and, and what does that look like? What do we do there? Jesus, in the, in the last book, in the very last book of the Bible, these, these words are recorded from Jesus. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Be zealous. That means like be fervent, get after it, and repent. That's joining him on the cross. We'll go, James gets there. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. It's not about food. Not about food at all. It, it's about a meal, enjoying a meal together. Meals, especially in the Jewish days, they were, they were a time of, of sitting down. You ate, you reclined, you kicked your feet up. Not on the table, Emma. And then you, <laughs> and, <laughs> and you enjoyed each other's company. You talked to each other. You interacted. It was a time of fellowship, of sharing an experience together. This was, this was what James now understood from Jesus. I, I zealously repent. I join you at the cross. And now I experience a life with you as we share a meal together. James shared a lot of meals with Jesus, I'm certain. I bet they, never mind, they probably didn't pass broccoli under the table. But this is different from the current trend of looking for emotionally charged worship or speakers or experiences that make us feel good. That requires little investment on our part. There's no cross, also no resurrection. But, but now, by zealously repenting, sharing a new life together, we have a practical path ahead of us. A practical, purposeful path ahead of us. What do I, what do I mean by that? I, I mean implementation of the truth in practice. Putting the truth into practice. Not 
twisting the truth to make it fit your understanding, your opinions, your preferences, to make the Bible more implementable or more digestible to get along with the way we see things today. James definitely didn't do this. James understood that there's truth. (laughs) He saw the truth living, breathing. And he was in a great position to guide us to implement it into practice. He understood Jesus' call, if you want to come after me, if you want to go for it, don't twist, don't change it. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. So James now is working this out practically. You know, he, he had a... He apparently had a knack for leadership. Uh, just what a, not surprising. He became the, he was the leader of the church. You don't hear a lot from him in the Old Testament or in the New Testament necessarily, but you do see that he was, he was well-respected. He was a leader with, with authority. Um, and, and he was taking, he, he had what he needed. He had the knowledge. He had the experience of growing up with Jesus. He had the, the truth, the new heart, the love that had been shown to him by his brother. And, and he got it. So we, we see his, his leadership role playing out here in, in Acts 15. They're, they're arguing and fighting over, not fighting, that's the wrong word, but they're arguing over what to do because because Jesus was risen from the dead, the Jews weren't the only ones who started to believe it. People coming from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds, who didn't have the traditions and the religious background that the, the Jewish people did. And so some of the, the guys, the, they, they called them Judaizers, wanted everybody to become Jewish. So, okay, well, you believe in Jesus? Well, now you got to become Jewish. Do everything we did. And they're arguing over, over making all the guys get circumcised. Adults, you know, it, it's... Um, no, thank you. And so the, as an adult, so, so they're arguing over this. And, and then Paul and Peter, of course, were, were like, wait a minute. We've already, we've seen God do this with the Gentiles, do this with the non-Jewish people. And, and so there's, there's no small debate going on about what to do. And so after they finished speaking, James replied, brothers, listen to me. <laughs> Peter, Simeon has related how God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And with this, the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it, that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from old. That was, that's a prophecy, that little run there, that quote. He, James is saying, yep, we, we hear you saying this happened, and that fits exactly with what we know should happen. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but we should write to them to abstain from the things polluted by idols. It, he's calling out the things that are going to take them away from God, these, these fake false gods who are going to take their attention away from God, which God said, don't do that, no matter where you're from. And from sexual immorality and from what has been strangled and from blood. For from ancient generations, Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him, for he is read every Sabbath in the synagogues. It, there's not enough history there to figure, to, to know this, I don't think, but he didn't take either person's side. Both groups were probably a little bit, a little grumbling about Jesus's, or about James's lay down there, but all of them accepted it. 
They wrote it in a letter. If you keep reading, they wrote it in a letter and cheerfully brought it to the Gentiles and said, here's what we got. But, but look at what James did. He, he understood the situation. He said, stay away from fake gods. Stay away from sexual morality. Honor the Old Testament towards a, honoring the Old Testament towards a deeper understanding and pursuit of Jesus. Because here, James recognized that the bond is about the bond with the risen Jesus, not about being more Jewish. And he wanted to encourage them, to lead them and guide them to get through all the stuff in the world and be more tightly bound with God. Not human nonsense, opinions, or feelings. He wanted to enable them to be real in their belief. So James was, was a leader with big-time authority. It, that was his role. He'd been prepared in it since birth. And as a leader in the church... With authority, he writes the book of James. And he starts out modeling what Jesus did. James, a servant of Christ. He says, this is written to you from James, a servant of God, of the Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say James, Jesus' brother. It's not like, hey, I'm Jesus' brother. (laughs) Listen to me. No, I am a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is neat because he's picking up what, what, what Jesus modeled as a leader. He's picking up the, what he is to do as a leader, to serve. And so we get this book of James that's, that's now telling us about living out the power of God, which is not like we expect, not like James expected until he saw. In the, we're, we're now in the weeds one step at a time. Our, li- our, li- our life now, it's, it's not necessarily about us. It's basically let God have his full effect on your lives. There's a, there's a huge verse out of Philippians about it's not about you anymore, but about God. And it's hard to make, it can be hard to make this practical. It can, you can read this, see the heart behind it, and, and know that this is true and awesome and just be in awe of God and Jesus and who he is. And then want to jump on, want to give him your heart and to follow his ways. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, even though he was God, he didn't count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And every, and then at the bottom, to the glory of God the Father. So he is, he's pulling from that, is our lives should not be about us anymore. But now they reflect the risen Christ. So, and James wrote how to, how to do this. And as a, as a church, we're going to start going through this series. And, and it's going to be, it's just, it's neat. Because this book, it's not a self-help book to make you better. It is direction from a godly leader with authority to encourage you to glorify God and show the risen Jesus to the world. People don't know what to do with that. We don't know how to implement this into practice. This is neat. And this is exciting. And and the words are clear in this book, in the book of James. What he's telling us and guiding us to do is clear, which is good for me. Because I am very thick-headed. Kelsey's not here, but she would have said amen. 
And, and so what we're going to go through, we're going to start with, I'm going to introduce a few of the topics of this series now, but the, we're starting off where he mentioned to the, and in the beginning of his letter, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So count it all joy when you meet these trials. He's, he's basically saying, you know, as you go through the hard stuff, as you go through the struggles, the trials, and, and, and you're suffering, you, you're starting to see some of the things that you were protecting from the cross. That you may be, that may be getting in your, you're not letting God have his way with you in those things. Because as we go through these, these, the hard stuff, as we go through the trials and the tribulations and, and, and lose stuff we don't want to lose, whether we had the option or not, or having to give something up because we know we have to and we're struggling to get through. As we go through those, we start to identify, hey, that's something that is, that's not God-like. That's not me being bound to Christ. That's not reflecting his life. So now we have the choice, the option to get rid of it or not. It's, it's a it's an opportunity because as we follow Jesus to the cross in these areas, we can get to this place where whether we've got a lot or a little, it just doesn't matter because whatever gain we have, we can count it all as loss. And every loss we have, it's, it's okay because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. For his sake, we've suffered loss and good. Get rid of it. It's not worth it so that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. This is neat. doesn't sound like it, but when you realize how powerful it is when you do this, we, we mentioned that it's not always that impressive. Like, this is what, that's it? That's what you want me to do? <laughs> you want me to suffer well? <laughs> really? We're, we're not always as impressed as, as James wasn't always as impressed with Jesus's life. And, and going on, if you were a believer, you were a doer. You, you want to do these things. You want to follow your faith. And belief in God, the word, it's a Greek word, is pistuo. You think of it a pistol or whatever. I always think of, of an impeller. But it's a belief that impels you to do something. The conviction and trust to which a man is impelled by a certain inner and higher prerogative and law of his soul. What it's saying is, you will follow your heart. Where is your heart at? Because hearing and doing, you're, you're doing things because of what you believe. Whatever God wants as a servant of God. It, the, you know, the demons, they also believe in God. And it, ca- it impels them to do something too. They shudder. They're, they're scared. You believe that God is one good for you. Even the demons believe that. And they shudder. A, a guy who looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like is like someone who who says they believe in God but doesn't do anything about it. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Because a hearer, an understander, but not an actor. They experience nothing unless they go and do it. They go away and they forget all about God. They might read some great stuff and, wow, that's good stuff. Put it down and go away and do their own thing. If you believe in God, you will do something about it. It will cause you to move. It will impel you to get out of the way. If you believe you're going to get hit by a bus, you're going to move out of the way. 
true. That's really neat. So what do you do? What am I supposed to do then? So I hear you. Okay, excited about the hard stuff. Be joyful about getting close to God and stripping away the things that aren't from God. Okay, and then I do stuff. What do I do? How do I go about doing these things? How do I decide? Here we are. We've been in the world for so long. We were born in the world. We were born sinners. Somebody said amen, I think. That was good. We, We were. We are I got plenty of proof if you need to come over. Um, and we've, we've spent our days using the wisdom of the world, using our wisdom uh, of doing this or doing that or trying to fit in in high school and middle school and elementary school and uh, fitting in at home sometimes. Wherever we are, we are looking at the world's standards and, and trying to find our niche and spot. And why wouldn't we do that? And then, but not anymore. Because if we start doing that, we're trying to do what the world wants and what God wants but he's telling us that that goes directly against God's wisdom. Because he, he, he warns us. This is a warning so that we're not like, well, you know, they, maybe we can have a little bit of both. He, he doesn't want you to be fooled or convinced otherwise. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That seems harsh. That hurts. What do you mean? This is James. He knows what he's talking about. He, he says, he knows this. He saw Jesus show up to him. He saw what Jesus did. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. He says, don't you know that? <laughs> but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to God then. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is great news. Resist the devil. Desire God's wisdom and not the world's wisdom. And, and you're not going to be left alone. If you're seeking and pursuing God through the tribulations, doing stuff, making mistakes, because all it wasn't supposed to do that, looking for God's wisdom, you're seeking God out. He will open the door, come in and have a meal with you, and you will be experiencing, you will be, you will be living with the risen Christ when you do this because of what he does because of his power, because of his greatness. So seek these things out. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Because we're powerless to do this on our own. It has to be God done. So our job, our goal is to pursue and seek God out, as James helps lay out for us. Now this is exciting. And it brings results. Doing these things... God-powered things, they bring results. Our faith in God, our perseverance in that faith that produces actions also produces holy fruit. It's not always fruitful as we might consider it. You might be trading something that the world says is amazing and great and wonderful and you need it, you deserve this, and we might trade something like that for, for the wisdom of God for something different. And, and nobody else will see it. Nobody else might realize the fruit. But it, but it will produce a harvest of righteousness sown in peace by those who make peace. I went to the very bottom of that one. Sorry for that. It just seemed like it fit. And up at the top, it starts, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct, let him show his works and the meekness of wisdom. The meekness is, is, it's not weak, it's humble. Jesus was described as meek, um, who, who, who led him, let himself be led to the cross, who let himself, he didn't open his mouth, he didn't resist, but he had great power evident by when 
he showed up as the risen Christ. And as he shows up in these guys' lives, as he shows up and creates fruit in our life. So, so what's the fruit? Is it, is it an apple? Is it a pear? Is it a banana? Is it, is it doing good deeds to, for, for, for anybody on the street? Or is it doing good deeds at work, at home? Where is it? And, and I don't know what kind of fruit it is. It's from God and not you. And it is a testimony to the world that Jesus is real and active. Your fruit is going to be something God done, God provided, God produced in you. And look at where your feet at. That's, that's where you're, you're meant to be used to produce godly fruit. Way neat stuff. And the last one, the last, the last part of the series that I'll introduce, not the last part of the series, but the last part I'll introduce today is we're running out of time, is, is showing no partiality. James takes a moment to say, to remind us that sin is the great equalizer. My sin, your sin, anybody's sin, all of it has put us against the wrath of God. But there's the gospel. The cross, it shows no partiality. It destroys anyone who's placed on it. The gospel also shows no partiality. God's grace is freely given to anyone who would seek out God. We have no right to show a preference for another, but to humbly go forward, showing the gospel to all. Francis of Assisi said, share the gospel always. Use words only when necessary. To anyone, to everyone. Nobody's, nobody's means you can be off the gospel. It's not like, oh, I don't need to show the gospel to that guy. Show the gospel in action, in deed, in judgment. Because all have sinned, all have fallen short. I have and Christ died for all. He died for me. So since we're all deserving death, but Jesus died for all, we ought to speak and act as those who are being judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. So there's something we step out of. There's a neat thing that James is telling us to step out of. So that was the first five or so of our series that we're going to be going through. Be real. That's today. James was real. James saw Jesus for real, living it out. And then he wrote us this book, the book of James, as a leader with authority, with wisdom. The, with, I mean, he had it going on. And the things he wrote to us, suffer well, worldly versus godly wisdom, holy fruit, inclusive, and just do it. Get out there and do it. This is going to be fun and exciting. So I hope you stick with it. But the thing that, that I hope that we can take beyond this is, is it's an everyday thing. James leads us to take our hearts out of the world, to take Jesus out of our pocket, and to put the world away. This can be practically done in real situations with real, um, with real direction. This is, whoa. Jesus is the best example of a leader. He's got power, he guides, and, and he leads James. And James leads us to live our lives out practically to the glory of God. This can actually be done by Jesus' way, not our own. Whoa, this is neat. So I hope you enjoy as much as I do. Yes, thank you. Let's pray. Father and God in heaven, you, you're here doing what you're doing 
with great power and great love and great mercy. And you don't leave us uncertain and unknowing. You make the path clear. Let us be willing to follow you wherever you may go and look for your life, the life you have for us, the moves you have for us. And let us see the risen Christ there so that all may see and know and glorify you as God. Wow, we thank you so much, God. You were so great and so amazing. Amen.